0: And welcome to Crying on My Yoga Mat. My name is JD, and this podcast is all about building a community where, alongside amazing guests, we have real conversations about the low lows, celebrate the highs, and everything in between. I know what it's like to go through life feeling stuck and powerless to do anything about it. Here, you'll meet yourself where you are and learn tangible tools to help you become who you want to be while honoring the journey. You've gotten this far, so let's keep going together. Take a deep breath, and let's go. On this episode of Crying on My Yoga Mat, Kelsey Ellis is our guest. Kelsey is not only an award-winning body-positive health and fitness expert, she is a holistic nutritionist and certified personal trainer. Kelsey is on a mission to empower individuals to take the shame out of their wellness game through letting go of self-judgment, practicing intuitive eating, and honoring joyful movement. Kelsey teaches body-positive fitness classes both live through her Patreon platform and via her YouTube channel, Healthy with Kelsey. In this episode, Kelsey and I talk about her experiences with anxiety, disordered eating, and exercise. And how she learned to show up and be present in her own body and to hold the space for others to do the same. For those of you that really enjoy listening to the guest episodes of Crying on My Yoga Mat, because you love to listen to a good conversation between two humans just talking about the realities of life and their past and how they've grown, this is especially an episode for you and I can't wait for you to hear it. So let's go. hello. Hello. Hey, how's it going, J.D.? So good. So glad to have you here. So glad to have a fellow British Columbian here again with me. Oop, oop. Yeah, <laughs> go BC. West Coast, Best Coast. It literally is, though. I just, whenever people from the East Coast are like, oh, but it's great out here, I'm like, mm, what's your temperature right now? Where are you at?
1: <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel like that is definitely the case. If you want to come anywhere that's the warmest place in Canada, come check out Vancouver. <laughs>
0: warmest and most expensive we got it all
1: (laughs) so true don't (gasps) stay for long though because it will break your pockets
0: (laughs) and you'll want to stay and then you'll never be able to leave (laughs) amazing so Kelsey how do you want to describe yourself to our audience today
1: I think I would describe myself and how I'm feeling in this exact moment as nervous excitement Mm nervous excitement. And I know that those two things feel like maybe they can exist at the same time in the same space. But in this moment, I'm existing, I think, in those both of those spheres. I'm excited about what's to come and the trajectory and growth of my business. But at the same time, I hold a lot of uncertainty and a lot of doubt and a lot of fear that, you know, can sometimes manifest as an imposter syndrome. So I feel like I'm excited, but I'm also uncertain. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, just is.
0: Oh, that's so, so real. Because we just, even when we put ourselves on certain paths, certain staircases, We don't always know what's going to be at the top of them. We can aim for a certain top, but oftentimes it's going to be something else. And that's where some of that anxiousness comes for me is that like, ooh, what is the actual end that's going to be here?
1: Yeah. I think a lot of times we have, you know, people kind of categorize emotions into positive emotions and negative emotions. And I really worked hard in my life to try to disconnect from that kind of binary thinking and that black and white thinking. Because in my opinion... We cannot experience the positive emotions without experiencing the negative emotions. How can you really know what joy feels like if you've never experienced sadness? How do you experience happiness without ever experiencing anger? You wouldn't know you were happy without having felt the opposite emotion. So I really tried to look at, you know, my emotions as just this neutral thing. And although some can feel more comfortable than other emotions, they're not necessarily a bad thing, or I'm not, you know, deemed a bad person for experiencing uncomfortable emotions in my life.
0: Absolutely. I think something really powerful that I hope everyone learns is the fact that feelings are messengers. Mm-hmm. And once you realize that and you feel these emotions that society may call bad, it's like, oh, you're angry. It's like, well, why am I angry though? Like what in me feels like it needs protecting and this anger is cropping up for, oh, I'm sad. What am I grieving right now?
1: hmm yeah, I think, you know, for a lot of people, emotions are the gateway to like self-reflection and awareness. And when we try to suppress them and we don't allow ourselves to fully experience them, I don't know if anybody else has this feeling, but it's like playing whack-a-mole. You know, you 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 hit one down and then it pops up somewhere else in your life and you hit that one down and then it pops somewhere up somewhere else in your life. And it's just like this continuous game of kind of distraction and avoidance and never really addressing elephant in the room, which is that uncomfortable emotion. And so, you know, for myself and how I personally deal with that these days is to really give myself the time to experience the emotion fully. Let myself cry, let myself scream, let myself process it in whatever way I need how without holding myself with judgment in the way that I am acting. Obviously, if it's not impacting anybody else and, (laughs) and, and impeding on anybody else's space, then, you know, is it wrong of me to grab a pillow and scream into it as hard as I can if that's what allows me to move through that emotion so that it's not cropping up continuously throughout the rest of my day, my week, my month, my year?
0: Yes. And something that I really experienced was if I wasn't dealing with my emotions, they were getting stored in my body and my body was becoming sick and more sick and more sick. And I'm like, what is happening here? And of course I'm distracting because I don't feel well and I'm distracting because I have negative emotions. And then my body's like, no, we have to deal with this. So you're going to go out of commission for some time until you deal with this.
1: <laughs> I know. It's one of those things that you're going to have to deal with that whether you want to or you don't, you know what I mean? The universe mm-hmm. will conspire to make sure that it happens. <laughs> so
0: I would prefer it to be on my own accord. <laughs> yes. I literally just finished a book today called Many Lives, Many Masters, and it goes about talking about... um one person's experience with like past life regression therapy and one of the messages from the masters of the universe, the realm, the cosmos, whatever it is, was the fact that like we have to go through certain things in our cycles and if we don't finish it in one life cycle, we're gonna have to finish it in the next and then we've got to do it all over again until it's complete and I'm like that's comforting and daunting all at the same time
1: absolutely i look at them as lessons and mm-hmm. that's just exactly it it's like we can try to avoid the lessons in our lives as much as we want but until we learn that lesson we're going to keep having you know similar experiences or similar moments in our life where we feel like we're not making progress mm-hmm. and the reality is it's because the lesson's not learned and some lessons are simple and some are going to take an entire lifetime if not multiple lifetimes to learn and so i think it's important to remember not to not to necessarily want your journey to be any different than it is. Sometimes I think we want to, you know, fast track through the learning and the lessons and the discomfort. We just want to like be like, I learned it. Okay. I, I mm-hmm. processed that emotion, moving on. But really sitting in it and feeling it and experiencing it fully just brings such another level of depth to our human condition and to understanding ourselves. And I feel like that's just something we cannot rush.
0: hmm Especially with what you're saying before, is sometimes we get to let out our emotions in ways like crying or screaming, and sometimes we're like, "Well, I did the crying and I did the screaming. Why do I still feel the thing?" <sighs> well, because you didn't deal with it. You did the surface, and that's great, but you didn't yeah. integrate it.
1: Yeah, that's, that's that's such a good point.
0: And I will very gently say this to the audience because I needed to hear it when I was younger. Sometimes when you're going through cycles in your life and you're seeing that. The same thing keeps happening over and over, and you're going, universe, why are you doing this to me? Sometimes it's you doing it to yourself, and you (laughs) haven't learned your lesson yet, and the universe is telling you that you need to learn your lesson. (laughs) Early 20s, JD, that is specifically for you.
1: Absolutely. There have been so many moments where I've been like down on my hands and knees, shaking my fist to the air and being like, why me? Like the universe has conspired against me. Like, what have I done in this life or my past life or some (laughs) karmic shit that's carrying, you know, on my back? Um, And then I've realized so many times it's really just been me standing in the way of myself and my own thoughts that have really been limiting and kind of shackling me from moving forward in my life so you make such a good point um and sometimes things are within our control and sometimes are outside of our control and I feel like we put so much pressure on ourselves to try to control the uncontrollable and we'll just drive ourselves nuts and bring us to this place of suffering and recognizing what's out of your control sometimes is the best way to relieve it you know just simply being like I don't have to carry this Like this Mm -hmm. isn't mine to carry. Sometimes that in itself can really help you let go and just move forward.
0: It's fascinating how empowering of a process that that can be. Releasing other people's nonsense can be empowering in the sense of like, you finally get to know what is yours and what isn't. And you get to deepen the relationship with the person that you're saying no to.
1: Yeah. I think for me this year, one of my biggest, you know, things that I'm, working on in my personal life is setting those boundaries. And I think there's a negative connotation with setting boundaries. Um, people have a fear that setting boundaries means that, you know, putting their foot down and saying to something is going to turn other people off, but it's not about other people's. It's about setting those boundaries for yourself and recognizing like, here is what I will accept in my life. And here is where I draw the line and what I will no longer accept in my life. And when we create those boundaries and we draw that line in the sand, it opens us up to bringing in the things that are meant for us and the people who are there to support us and the abundance that we really need in order to support the direction in which we're going.
0: Yes. One of uh, a quote that I really love is sometimes we have to let go of good to receive better. Hmm.
1: Yeah, um, exactly. Definitely. You have to let go of things for better things to come along. Definitely.
0: Well, while we're in this talking about better things and in the in the crux of it all, what is or has been one of your crying on your yoga mat moments?
1: One moment that comes to mind for me is not necessarily in my yoga mat, but... I think we have all had a good crying experience in the car, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes.
1: right? Maybe some of us <clears throat> myself have had many moments of <laughs> being behind the wheel and just letting the tears stream down my face. Um, but one that stands out for me in particular is this, the first experience that I ever had of a panic attack mm. that for me I experienced in multiple emotions, but one of those ways was crying. And for me, being in a space where I knew something was wrong, but I didn't have the language or understanding to articulate what I was feeling. And then working with a medical practitioner who had terrible bedside manner and... I didn't know how to articulate what I was feeling and therefore I was not properly diagnosed with having a panic attack. So I just continued to keep suffering within that experience over and over. And that left me leaving the doctor's office in absolute shambles and in tears. So I feel like for me, that's one experience of many that stands out for me in particular. And it really was a life changing moment because, um, from that moment forward, I have dealt with anxiety ever since. And I think that's something that sometimes people don't realize when it comes to generalized anxiety is that sometimes we have something that triggers us and then we, we manage it and it gets better. And since the trigger is gone, the anxiety goes away. Mm -hmm. But when you have generalized anxiety, I have, this ongoing kind of low-grade anxiety all day every day and from that moment when I had that first panic attack going forward that has been my life ever since and that has been now over 10 years
0: yeah it's anxiety is one of those things where it's like do I need coffee or do I need anxiety those are the they give me the same jitters
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's come in waves with anxiety too, right? And for anybody out there who has anxiety, you'll know that there's like the wave of it where it's like, I'm doing really, really good. And then it's like, I'm doing not so good. I'm not doing, I'm doing not so good. And then they're like, I'm okay today. And some cycles are longer than others. And I think that, you know, having anxiety is always that fear of having anxiety, which, you know, keeps that cycle going. So there's a fear of yeah, there's, there's your fear that's triggered the anxiety. And then there's also the anxiety itself that is triggering and that experience and recreating those feelings in your body and in your mind, um, which can be kind of scary sometimes.
0: Well, especially with things like anxiety, where how our body reacts to anxiety is very similar to a lot of good emotions. Like excitement is very similar to the nervousness that we feel with anxiety. And being in a state where we're so heightened with our anxiety doesn't allow us always the processing of, okay, is this anxiety or am I excited about something? Have I not eaten today? When was the last time I drank water?
1: Yes. Oh my goodness. That's so, I, I like at anxiety sometimes, like looking down the barrel of a gun. It's like <laughs> When you're in that state of anxiety, you cannot see anything around you except for the state which you are in and so you sometimes need that interruption I find that for myself like that's so pivotal in breaking that cycle of anxiety is like I need that interruption I need to for even just a few moments take my mind out of that space and recognize that it's me experiencing the anxiety and witnessing that and and I'm not the anxiety itself I'm the thing that witnesses the anxiety I'm the one that witnesses the thought. Now I'm not the thought in itself. And I think mm-hmm. for me, that's so key. And um, one of the ways I really love to do that is cold water therapy. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that will get you out of your mind and into your body faster than being in cold water. Yes. Whether that's a quick dip. I know we live here on the West Coast and we have some beautiful rivers in North Vancouver. Um, that, you know, just a quick dip in, in a river, a quick cold shower, like 10 seconds, Submerging yourself in a cold ice bath, that will move you out of that anxious mind and being in the presence of your body very quickly. And sometimes that's all you need to really just snap out of that experience and recognize like, wait, I am not the anxiety. I am the Kelsey that is witnessing the
0: anxiety. Yeah. For me, I usually open the window that's nearest to me or I take a step outside And if I'm honest, it is kind of a a numbing factor for me, but sometimes the numbing helps so that we can get to that ground zero again. Mm -hmm. It takes you away from that height and gets you to a more like eye level being like, okay.
1: Yeah. Yes. It's a thing that gets you to the point where you can process that experience (laughs) because in a state of a heightened state of anxiety, like I said, it's like looking down a barrel of a gun. There's like, there's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else to see. There is no solution. There is no answers. And sometimes we need just something that can calm us down just a minuscule amount so that we can get to that state.
0: Absolutely. And that's why I'm a huge uh, proponent for having pets as well. Cause if you're hottie, a a pet, and then it's all good. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one as well. I love that. So I'd love to, if we could go back to that doctor's office experience, I would love to know what was the underlier there? Because for, for myself, it would have been a huge portion of you're not hearing me. You don't mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, so I think for myself, it was a combination of not being heard, but also confusion. There was nothing... And I think this is something I continue to struggle with to this day is I feel like I don't have the answer as to know what initially triggered that first panic attack. It came on very suddenly and it wasn't like, oh, I, like, you know, I swerved in traffic and I almost got hit by that truck and and that triggered an ex- a panic attack. It was like there was nothing specifically um, that was triggering. I think I was just not dealing with stress mm-hmm. and it built up and built up and it built up to the point that my body physically could not handle it anymore. Like mentally, emotionally, and physically could not handle it anymore. And it felt like something just switched in my brain that like I just couldn't handle it. I, I had a breakdown moment where it was just my brain became overwhelmed and I feel like it just went offline. I had a difficult time staying present, remembering I was live as if I was witnessing myself outside of my own body. It was terrifying. Um, And feeling like, will my mind ever be okay again, was the most terrifying thought I think I've ever had in my whole life. And so to try to explain that in a way when you're in that dissociative state to a practitioner was so difficult. And they kind of acted very nonchalantly about it. And in my body, I'm like, this is not normal. But they were acting like it was, I, I, I can't explain it. I just felt like, wow, I'm not sure if I'm gonna get the help that I need and that scared me even more.
0: Yes, that's, I wasn't sure I was gonna get the help I needed and that scared me even more. When we're in that place and we're physically alone with that practitioner and we leave to go drive alone in our vehicles, that is what's what our brain is telling us. You're alone in this. You, How are you gonna get the help that you need? What is the help that you need?
1: yes. Oh my goodness, that sense of loneliness, like this deep, profound feeling of loneliness. Like I don't know that I can anyone will be able to experience what I'm feeling in my body right now yes. is scary. And I think because when you do try to explain it to somebody who's never had anxiety, it's like there's you, you they'll just won't get it. I don't know how to explain it. They just won't get it. Be having it and trying to explain it to somebody are two different things. And it's very scary to feel alone in that feeling for sure.
0: And was this your early 20s then?
1: Yes, my early 20s. And I think it was a compounding, like I said, I think it was compounding stress in itself. You know, I had dropped out of college um, after being on a full ride softball scholarship, moving across uh, to the United States, all the way over to the East Coast. I'm, I'm from the West Coast, um, having a pretty terrible experience in college. Um, and I mean, that's in itself could be an entire podcast episode. Uh, <laughs> but then deciding what was best for my mental health was to come home. So I dropped out of college. I came back. I was, you know, in my early twenties where I was drinking all the time, substance use, a compounding amount of different things with that, going out and moving out for the first time on my own. And, the stress of working in a very toxic environment, Mm -hmm. I think the combination of all those things that just gave me this profound sense of failure in my life just broke me. And it happened suddenly out of nowhere in one split moment. And like I said, from that point going forward, I have struggled with generalized anxiety ever since. Mm -hmm. And there is like life before that and then life after that.
0: Everybody says the 20s are the time when we're growing up. Oh, the 20s are the best years of your life. But those things happen in our 20s. We're setting up our futures. We have the pressure of everything on us when we're in our 20s. And we're so expected to have at least some of our stuff together well enough, at least to be as good enough as the next person. And the comparison of our 20s is Bonkers. I mean, we're we're both in our 30s now. So it's it, it calms down a little bit because you learn that like, one, it's not real. It's just not Two, who fucking cares.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm in the ladder these days. And it's so funny, you look at back in hindsight, and you recognize that all of the Internal, and I think it was a lot of internal pressure, like pressure that I was putting on myself to have to do better now that I dropped out. I felt mm. like the sense of having to prove myself because I wasn't going down the path that everybody had expected of me. I feel like I've, I had to go above and beyond and do even better than that. And I think that was just really soul crushing because I was doing it for other people and not really for myself and not really coming to terms with the fact that I had to drop out of college. I think in my early 20s, I just suppressed it with everything else that I could, food, drugs, alcohol, all of those things.
0: It's such a hard thing to integrate. Cause like we've said, you've you've got to actually like experience the feelings to kind of get past them or move on with them. And Mm -hmm. how do you integrate not only moving back from cross country, but leaving the college and the fact that it wasn't fully your fault that you left college. There were influences that had you make that decision. But the, as you said, the mindsets that we have for ourselves and the the pedestal that we put ourselves on sometimes where it's like, I should be able to accomplish at least this and even that's sometimes too high. And we're like, I couldn't even accomplish that.
1: Yeah. You know what's funny is we're having this conversation. It's had like this kind of revelatory moment where, you know, I realized that in my life, how I got to the point of having disordered eating behaviors and ultimately an eating disorder, I think it, it it really was triggered around that same time in my life because. Mm-hmm controlling what I was eating, tracking my food, tracking my calories, running a specific, you know, amount of minutes on the treadmill, having a certain amount of calories burnt, et cetera, gave me this false sense of control when my life felt so out of control. Mm-hmm. And I'm recognizing like right now in this moment, I think mm-hmm. there's a deep connection between those two things. And that, again, it was like this, if I can't control what's going on within me, then I can control what's going on outside of me, which is my body.
0: Yes. Yeah. I want to just take a, take a pause with you in that. Cause that's big.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I want to refer back to it as like this false sense of control, because although I thought, you know, if I can have structure, if I can have discipline, if I can control everything that I put into my mouth, then I am in control. What it actually did was disconnect me from having even, even more control.
0: Mm -hmm. I felt even
1: more disconnected ultimately now looking back in hindsight from my body.
0: Yeah, that's huge. Well, I wonder, does some of that stem from when you are in that very ordered, let's call it eating, because you're very, very controlling of it. Is it disconnecting you from the voice inside? of your body that's actually telling you, Hey, no, I, I'm, I kind of need some iron or some beef right now, but no, that's not on the caloric intake.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, I would choose things to eat that I thought were what you're supposed to eat in order to control your weight. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, no, no carbs, no sugars, no bread, no, you know, drink only water. Mm -hmm. Don't, you know, all like the little rules that we have around eating, don't eat after seven o'clock, seven o'clock after brush your teeth so that you're not hungry. I had so many, you know, of those kind of disordered behaviors in my life at that time. And it really quieted my own ability to connect to my own hunger, my own fullness, my own level of satisfaction when it came to eating, I was eating for the sake of, I don't even know how to describe it, like just eating for the sake of what I was, what was on my meal plan that I created for myself, but having no joy in it. There was no pleasure. There was no satisfaction. And I think what I needed ultimately in my life at that time was joy, pleasure, and satisfaction. And I, I deprived myself of that. And I think it was deep down that I didn't feel deserving of
0: it. That is really, how many of us feel that way? Like if you're listening to this, I don't care where you are. You're in the shower, you're in the grocery store, you're in your car. I want you to raise your hand awkwardly. Other people are going to see it. It's fine. They'll just think you're waving at them. How many people have felt like this? Why don't we feel deserving?
1: I think there's so many reasons. And I think for myself and my own personal experience, it comes down to that deep sense of failure that, you know, because I feel like I let myself down in those moments. I let my family down by dropping out of college. I let, you know, everyone that was rooting for me to get to that place down. I felt like ultimately I had to deprive myself of joy because of that. And part of that joy was being very strict around what I was allowing myself to do, what I was allowing myself to do, how much I was allowing myself to exercise. And I'm sure that also compounded with the fact that as a competitive athlete, all you know growing up is structure. Mm. And to come back and try to transition into adulthood without having that structure, I felt lost. And I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So I reverted back to old habits, which was, let me control my food. Let me control my exercise. Let me control every single thing about my life and deprive myself of any joy and flexibility and being able to go with the flow because I can't trust myself to go with the flow.
0: Mm. Oh, I can't trust myself to go with the flow. That, that hit me in a real way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's so interesting that like, The standards that we have are highest for ourselves, always. I I never realize it until someone else calls me out on it, and I'm like, oh, right, crap, okay. But (laughs) our younger selves had these visions in mind for what we'd be when we were older and when we don't hit them, and then we attach so much of what our families would think would be along the lines with what we thought, right? So obviously they're so disappointed in us and they could never forgive us for ruining our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's when we're young and we're
1: in that state, I think, you know, there's so much expectations that I, I placed on myself that other people had placed on me that, I had no backup plan. Like there wasn't plan B. My, my life when I left high school and went off to college was like, I'm going to be an athlete. Like that's all I had been my entire life. I was very close to playing in the Olympics as an Olympian. And I, you know, I was on that trajectory and everything kind of came crumbling down and everything I thought that I had been working towards came crashing down and I felt lost. And I think when you're in that place of feeling lost, you are going to grab a hold to anything where you feel like you can find a little bit of support. And I had, was working in a traditional fitness gym at that time. And my support was uh, what I started as, as an outlet for stress was exercise, which quickly then became controlling my body. And I started to look at exercise as only this way to manage how many calories I could burn to offset the amount of calories that I was eating. And I got stuck in that cycle of binge restrict, which ultimately left feeling more out of control.
0: Absolutely. And when we're looking at exercise as kind of a punishment for what Mm -hmm. we've done, That's, that's never sustainable. And the second that we stop hating ourselves for a millisecond, it's not sustainable anymore.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, I I started to introduce that same approach to exercise that I was having with eating, which was let me run myself into the ground, push myself as hard as I can, take as little rest as I can, because I don't feel like I deserve to rest. How can you rest when you're not working towards something? You know what I mean? Like, how do you deserve to take time off and rest when you are supposed to be building your life right now, you're only in your early twenties, you feel so much pressure to be making strides towards whatever you're going to be doing with your life. So every moment that I wasn't doing that felt like un- unproductivity and that I was just never going to make it. I was never going to do the work. I was never going to make anything of myself. And so I, I created the kind of like this false reality for myself within controlling my diet and controlling my exercise at least it gave me something to do every day.
0: Yeah. Well, I I love hearing other people's stories because mine is is different in the sense of I go into freeze mode. So I don't do shit. Like I've I've really not done a whole lot in my life, especially in my 20s and but I still have those same feelings. I should be accomplishing something. I should be better. I was created for more. I'm nothing because I'm not working towards something, but I just stay stuck on my couch playing video games or watching TV or whatever it was. And it's another factor that I wanna bring into this is, cause you were saying how there's so much structure in school and you get out of school and there's so no structure. The biggest thing for me as well is community. Because it Mm -hmm. was so easy to have and find community in schooling. Then you come out of that and what do you have? You maybe have some childhood friends. You maybe still have some school friends, some work friends, but we are surrounding ourselves with things that will make us feel better, right? So when you were making the choices that you were in your early 20s, were the people that you were hanging out with also making similar choices?
1: Absolutely. And it felt like a community of people who were all struggling yeah. and what also brought us together was this was dieting. Like now that I look at it, we all together would congratulate one another, celebrate each other um, when we were able to restrict ourselves from eating or when we were able to, you know, be like, hey, I lost this amount of weight, etc. I think it also fueled that at the same time because I had a community around me who was also under the same kind of disordered eating behavior.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And if you're friends with your coworkers that work at the gym, it's, Hey, let's work out. Let's go on a hike. Let's yeah,
1: exactly. And so, you know, it's funny though. I look at it and so much of our conversation has been kind of like, here's been this uncomfortable experience and you know, these were the struggles, but ultimately JD, this is how I got to doing what I do now. I, I, I work as a personal trainer in a a body positive space, working with people specifically to overcome the vicious cycle of dieting. And I could not do the work that I do now without having gone through that. So, you know, I'm looking back in hindsight and I'm so grateful to have had those experiences because I know on a very deep level what it's like to live in that space and in that body. And I can have empathy and understanding for my clients in a way that I don't think I would have had I otherwise gone down a different path, you know, and that being said, when we go back to what we were talking about initially in our conversation today, it's like, how would I be able to experience the work that I do now without having gone through that in the same sense of how would I have been able to experience joy without experiencing sadness, yeah. you know? And so these moments in our lives that we kind of look back as like our dark nights of the soul or like, you know, these really traumatic, uncomfortable experiences, they are ultimately always the foundation of something beautiful. And I always try to look at things with that kind of silver lining. That's like, I know in this place that I'm feeling this discomfort right now, it's going to be the foundation in which I experience pleasure and joy in some other capacity at some point in my life because of this.
0: Yes. Uh. Yes. (laughs) I want to celebrate that. And let's let's get into the path that got you here then. So you had your experience with your doctor. You're like, okay, no, I'm going to have to seek help elsewhere if I'm able to. What was the next step once you you got yourself together a little bit?
1: hmm So my next step after leaving the doctor's office, I was prescribed some anti-antidepressants and some antipsychotic medications, which in itself, you know, looking back in hindsight, I'm like, mm, in like that 15 minutes I had with my doctor, I feel like that I wasn't able to very well explain what I was experiencing. <gasps> Maybe I
0: antidepressants, oh my God. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? Like there was no referral to working with a therapist. There was no seeing a psychologist, uh, have a proper diagnosis, etc. So I you know, that's a flaw that I often see in our medical systems. Mm -hmm. But um, in leaving that experience, I did take those medications and they did, like you were talking about earlier, like, what is that thing that can snap you kind of out of that looking down the barrel of a gun. And one of those resources for me and that time in my life was medication. It really did help me to be able to get to a place where I could start taking better care of myself, take getting up out of bed, remembering to shower, like eat something, drink water, do the basic self-care necessary to make myself feel a little bit better and then kind of build off of that each day. Um, So I am very grateful to that, but I also recognize that that was not a long-term solution in my life. I needed to find other coping strategies in my life. And I recognized one of the areas that I thought was helping me cope was exercise. When in actuality, I think that it had been doing a detriment to a certain Mm -hmm. degree in the way that I was approaching the exercise. So I started to scale back and I started to focus on doing exercise that I was enjoying and not putting so much pressure on myself. And at that time I transitioned out of working for the gym to being self-employed as a personal trainer. And I realized in doing that and working with other people one-on-one that exercise can take on so many different beautiful forms Mm -hmm. and everybody's exercise is going to look different and trying to project what I was doing in my disordered behaviors around exercise and projecting that onto people wasn't right. Mm -hmm. But often we teach people the way that we do things, right? When we're educating people, we we teach people how to do them the way we do. But in that, I also recognized that what I was doing was not right and therefore had to start looking at alternatives. And at that time in my life, um, a few years after that experience, I went back and I became a registered holistic nutritionist. I started to look at how Eating impacts our anxiety and our nervous system, and understanding more of the science behind that rec- that um, correlation. And when I started to make changes about the way that I was eating, you know, it all kind of started to come full circle, and therefore I was able to start feeling better. Exercise became more of this way to like this positive experience in my life, and it just kind of went from there. And now, you know, I work with people specifically who have disordered eating behaviors and help them to recognize that there's like life beyond dieting and that there's life beyond this false sense of control that we think we have when we try to diet, that we can, you know, have a deep relationship with ourselves that deeper than what we can have with dieting, we can have that without dieting. And we can have this yeah. I don't know how to exactly how to describe it, but we can... I think what impedes our ability to connect with ourselves ultimately can be dieting in itself, where we think we're having that control, but we're actually not.
0: One thing that I've come to be taught within the past few years is that we need to police ourselves less. Mm-hmm. L- less, less police in general, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, and that is one of the ways that we do it. We do it in our diet. We tone police ourselves and others. We call ourselves out on the correct exercise or the amount of exercise or all of these different things. We're so silly hard on ourselves and we don't see it.
1: Yeah. And you're right. When you say the word policing, that's just it. I felt like, how can I hold compassion for other people when I can't be compassionate towards myself? And when I started to do the work of dismantling a lot of the internalized beliefs I had about my inabilities started to recognize the imposter syndrome that I was having and a lot of the self-doubt that I was having and being able to hold compassion for myself it helped me become more compassionate towards other people be more accepting to recognize my own implicit biases that I was carrying about other people and when I started to to I, and do that work and really recognize people in a different way and hold space for people in the way that I needed someone to hold space for me. It was just so profound and life changing. And I recognized that. I could be, you know, a great personal trainer in terms of teaching people how to do a proper squat, giving them the right, you know, technique and the form and writing the best meal plans and whatever I thought personal training was going to look like. But what I recognized underneath all of that was everybody just wants to feel seen. Everybody wants to feel like they belong. Everybody just wants to feel like they can be their authentic self without being judged. And now that I'm looking at it in that experience that I had with that doctor that time, that was all I needed in that moment moment of suffering. I needed to feel seen. I needed to feel heard. I needed to feel like I belonged and I needed help. And I recognize that now maybe in some kind of sense, that is why I do the work that I do. Because when people are struggling, I want to show up as that person for somebody to help them feel seen and to know that they're not struggling alone. And whether that is, whether that's something that I can, you know, have the resources to provide them with, sometimes people just need someone to be, to, to say something to, yeah. you know, and I get to know my clients on such a beautiful, deep level. And that's part of the thing I love the most about the work that I do.
0: I really appreciate the fact that you are someone who is going to make people feel seen because of the body that you carry. Me in my, I'm a very small white woman is going to have a different impact on a certain body of people. Whereas you are going to be home. For so many people. I'm super stoked to have been part of your Patreon program because I love that you do the modified exercises. There is no shame for a millisecond in your workouts. You do the modified. You admit that you are sweating. You are showing up perfectly imperfect every time. And people need to see that we don't need more of what we already have. We need more of you.
1: Oh, I really appreciate that. I've recognized too, you know, that I love the vulnerability piece to the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like I hold nothing back. And that's what I love about doing live streams is that like, there is no editing. This yeah. is me. What you see is what you get. <laughs> and um the people who are here for it are here for it. Yeah. You know, if I have like sweat in my eye and I literally can't see them I'm like winking at the camera and I'm like trying to talk at the same time to get the sweat out of my eye. Like it, it doesn't matter. And I think sometimes so much of what we see in the fitness industry, especially online is like this roboticness, like that person does. not doesn't sweat. That person doesn't have sweat marks across their, their crotch. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and I think to myself, like, who are these people? I'm sweating <laughs> out of every orifice in my body, <laughs> you know, and everything just feels so calculated. And I think we're losing that human part to it. And so I want to bring that back. I want to show you that, Hey, look, my hair is frizzy and it gets out of place when I lay down and move my head across my mat. You know, my, I, I sweat like crazy, you know, I need to take breaks. I catch my I have to catch my breath too, you know? And I hope that helps people to feel seen on the other side of the camera. I really do.
0: It does. It really does. Well, I mean I I private messaged you after one workout recently saying that like the affirmation that you'd said during a workout really impacted Ryan, my husband, because he was he was having a rough time with the exercise and something that you said made him smile and seeing him smile while working out does not happen very often. <laughs> so I instantly messaged Kelsey. I'm like, thank you for saying that. That really helped because that's, that's what we need. Because in those moments you are seeing and hearing us. Yeah. And
1: I think something, sometimes people forget that exercise is an emotional experience. It in itself is quite spiritual in the fact that we are being present in our bodies, moving energy, Mm -hmm. right? And when we talk about emotions, that's what it is, Mm -hmm. moving energy. And so when we move our bodies, we can experience a lot of emotional release. We can feel sometimes that self-doubt creep in where we're looking at somebody in the way that they do things and then try to hold ourselves to those same standards. And my goal is to help people recognize that we can move our bodies on two opposite sides of the cameras totally differently and still benefit in the same way, right? And what might be working for me and my body and what I need right now is going to be different than what you need in your body right now. And we're not comparing, these things are not parallel. We're not comparing the same things. Trying to compare apples to oranges is never going to work. Yeah. Right. So it's like, how can I show up and be present in my body and honor that even on camera and guide people through the same experience and what they need in their body?
0: Yeah. Even the simple reminders that you do of like, you don't have to go at the same pace as me is massive Mm -hmm. because how many times are we watching or participating in a workout and go and just hard as a motherfucker like the trainer is not realizing the trainer does this three times a day six times a week and we do this one time a day one time a week
1: yeah yeah and often I tell my uh, people just like pause the camera like if they're watching it via replay like pause you can hit pause (laughs) I just want to put that out there and remind you there's a pause button just you know take that time decompress catch your breath come back in whenever you're ready um and it creates and it cultivates such a healthier relationship with movement because I think so many of us look at exercise as being punitive
0: Mm
1: -hmm. as in a way punishment, right? We have to do it. We force ourselves to do it. If we don't do it, then we don't have structure. If we don't have structure, then we are not exercising self-discipline, right? And so- I think for so many of us, we have to recognize that like we can do gentler forms of movement. We can change the pace in which we move and experience more joy from doing that. And when we have more joy doing that, it becomes a lot more sustainable. And when mm-hmm. it's sustainable, then we receive a lot more health benefits from doing it. Yeah. And so creating more sustainability in fitness is one of the greatest things that I approach in the way that I work with my clients in helping them cultivate more joy in their movement. So that may be doing an exercise definitely than what you're seeing on camera and that I'm doing. And I'll usually try to demonstrate different variations of it. And for some people that might also not be the type of exercise that I do at all. Right. Like that might be going rollerblading with your friends and that's yeah. okay too. it. Right.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. Well, I love sometimes during your workouts, I'm doing a totally different move. You're in one position. And I'm like, no, it is some, it's a child's pose for me right now. And I'm <laughs> staying in child's pose for three cycles because I I can't do what you're doing. My body says this. And for those listening, when you bring this new mindset into your exercise and time moving your body, I really invite you to take a pause after your workout and discuss with yourself, did that feel better than when I'm really pushing myself during a workout? Do I feel as accomplished as I did? Do I feel the joy? Do I feel the amount of serotonin that I needed here? Do I feel mm-hmm. safe? Do I feel listened to? Yes. Oh my goodness. Often, I think
1: you'll, you might know this from taking classes with me. Often I say, let's take a moment to integrate that movement,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Like how many people finish a workout, like rip off their shoes, take off their headphones, like go down, take a shower. Like They don't integrate that, that experience that they just
0: had in their body. Yes. And exactly as we were saying, uh, as you were saying just now and I was saying earlier, our body stores feelings and emotions. So when we're doing, let's say, a deep hip stretch, there's a lot of trauma and emotion stored in hips, especially in a uterus-carrying body. And we need to be able to not just quickly move on from that because if we're not integrating, it's not going to be carried on. And it's another lesson that we're going to have to keep relearning.
1: Yes, that's exactly it. And I think that's why so many times people say, you know, I work out and I feel so good. And the rest of the day, I have energy and all this. And then the next morning, I wake up and I feel that resentment towards it. Or, like, oh, I have to do this again. Mm. And that's why that same cycle keeps repeating, is because we didn't take that time to really integrate the benefit that you were receiving. You may have felt like, oh, yeah, I got more energy. But did you really feel that? Did you notice the way in which it impacted your day? Did you notice in the way that, you know, how you felt prior to that workout and then 30 minutes later, how differently you felt? And when we can integrate that, then we can see the benefit in it and it no longer becomes something that we have to resent doing.
0: Yeah, Because we
1: feel like we have power in it.
0: Exactly. And even in the times where we don't feel better after the workout, we get to have a lovely conversation with ourselves and be like, okay, where did I... Not listen to you, body. Where did I cross a line? Were we just not meant to work out today? We just needed to walk around the neighborhood rather than some weights. Okay. Thanks for letting me know. I'm sorry about that. Let's do an extra stretch. Let's do something to bring that joy back into this scenario.
1: I love that. I love that. I think that's really, really important. And I think sometimes we forget that. That Not all exercise is going to feel good. Oh God, yeah. There's kind of like this, you know, (laughs) underlying theme that people think, okay, am I going to immediately feel better? And sometimes you don't. And to know that that's okay too, and maybe that's just not what you needed in this moment. Um, I think a lot of times people operate with exercise from this place of like, I have to do it because I don't want to lose my routine. Or like if I skip Mm. it today, then it's going to snowball and I'm not going to do it the next day and the next day. Yeah sometimes we just need that rest. Sometimes we just need to pivot from doing something else. And when we come back to it, we feel a lot more joy doing it.
0: Yeah. Anything
1: forced never feels good.
0: Yeah. It's that absence makes the heart grow fonder sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kelsey, how can we learn more about you? How do we support you? How does everyone get to work with you?
1: Yeah. So the best way to connect with me is through Instagram. You can find me at healthy underscore with underscore Kelsey. Um, I also offer a YouTube channel called healthy with Kelsey in which I offer a um, body positive workouts under 30 minutes at home with very little equipment. So definitely check me out there. Um, As you know, JD, I also offer live stream fitness through Patreon every week. So I teach about 15 classes a month live streamed. So if you want to work with me in real time, get your sweat on. Um, All the classes are also recorded. There's over 120 classes available for immediate replay. So if you want to work in that capacity, you can connect with me there as well
0: amazing well thank you so so much for hanging out and chatting with us Kelsey it has been an absolute pleasure and I'm going to see you what tomorrow we've got a workout tomorrow
1: yeah we absolutely do 9 a.m
0: beautiful I will see you and sweat with you then
1: awesome thank you so much for having me JD
0: thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode please share it on social media you can tag me on instagram at crying on my yoga mat so I can see what you're learning and loving about the show until next time